The only thing that really kept me going and kept me motivated and hungry for life is to get back out on that boat though and to just, yeah. And that, I mean, my mom saved my life like by adopting me, but she saved it twice by adopting me and by introducing the world of sports to me. But then it was sports that saved it the third time in that process. Oksana Masters is one of the most accomplished Paralympic athletes of all time. A 17-time Paralympic medalist, Oksana has dominated the competition on the slopes, on the road, and in the water. Competing in both the summer and winter Paralympics, she has won medals in cross-country skiing, road cycling, biathlon, and rowing. At the Beijing Paralympics, her second Paralympics in less than a year, Oksana won seven medals, including three golds to become the most decorated U.S. winter Paralympian of all time. Outside of being one of the world's most accomplished and multifaceted athletes, Oksana has one of the most incredible life stories you will ever come across, and I'm very excited to talk about it all with her today. So Oksana, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, thank you, and thank you for having me. Yes, I'm excited to have you on. And just like reading your intro, I mean, incredible, incredible success. Like how did, like, what does it feel like to hear that read off? It feels weird. (laughs) (laughs) I just, cause like, it's like one of those things that you, you read about other people and you're like, gosh, I want to be one of, that's so cool. She's so cool, but she's done. Uh, and then it's just, I'm not used to the 17 time because it was just four months ago or six months ago that Tokyo happened. And I was just yeah. over the moon to be a two digit Paralympic medalist. And now all of a sudden to be a 17, just yeah. doesn't seem you're, real yet. You're almost to 20, which is like absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And it's, and it's like, I, I obviously, I play soccer. So we only have like a shot at one medal each time. So whenever I talk to Olympians who like, obviously you do multiple sports was insane, but then, you know, the swimmers, like they've got chances at a lot, but you've, you've capitalized on so many of them <laughs> and it's absolutely incredible. So, um, but I totally know how it feels to just have that one event. Cause that's what rowing was. It's you mm. spend all the time training, training, training. And it's just one race to make yeah. it to the A final and then and then it's just everything you have for three to four minute race and this is totally one thing. Yeah. I, I also I, I we talk sometimes on the soccer team about like watching these events that are ten seconds long and that's all you get at the at a shot for your Olympic medal that you've worked four years for. And then for us, it's like, we got to win six games. So I'm like, which one's worse? You know, maybe having a false start and like being disqualified (laughs) and all that works over or having to grind through six Six games. games. I think it's that. That's hard. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. It's it's very different. But um, with all that success, so it's, we're like, how many weeks out from Beijing now? Oh my gosh. Um, I think maybe two weeks. Okay. So you you basically... Yeah, you just finished up. So what have you been up to since <laughs> the games? Um, I know when I've gone to the Olympics and then like coming home, it's such an interesting experience because one, it depends on how you did. And then two, just there's so much buildup, but then it's like this deep sigh mm-hmm. and like release. So what have you been up to the last two weeks? <laughs> I'm such a boring person. The last two weeks, I've not, I've barely gotten off the couch or my bed I mean, <laughs> or my espresso sense. machine. And that's really the three places I've been moving around and just kind of trying to catch up on sleep 
jet lag from coming from China. I did not expect it. I've traveled a lot really? of places, but I yeah I. Oh my gosh! I thought I was being poisoned. It was the jet lag was so strong. I've never felt any. I thought I was like so vom like nauseous and yeah. I was gonna vomit and just this bodily reaction instead of just sleepiness and yeah. tiredness. Totally. But I'm not being poisoned. It was just <laughs> okay. That's good. I'm glad but, we we cleared that up. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just kind of processing everything that happened and just kind of trying to get back to a normal sleep schedule and um, had a lot of opportunity to talk with media and stuff. But I think the favorite thing is just like being in your own home, in your own kitchen, in your own bathroom and right, just those small things. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. Sometimes it's like, it is. There's so much travel involved. There's so much time away from home. There's so many hotels or, you know, the village, that sort of thing. And just being yeah. able to be home in your own space, on your own schedule, you know, no one's <laughs> telling you what to do or, like, where to be. It's it's definitely no nice. No more so COVID I, testing. You could wake up and not have to have a COVID test every single morning. Yes. Right okay, I'm curious about this. So you went to Tokyo and you went to Beijing. What was – did they feel differently in terms of COVID? Oh, my gosh. So different. Okay, tell me, tell me. Kelly, we didn't even see the people's, like, faces in China. Like, all the volunteers they had. I have to look at this picture of hazmat suits from head to toe. They had surgical surgical gloves, and they were, like, taped on goggles. So you didn't even see a face. I feel like I saw that on TV. I was like, this seems excessive. Yeah. And... (laughs) It was a little weird. It felt like you're walking into like a movie. But and yeah. it was just only weird because Tokyo happened under the same circumstances with COVID protocols and everything and it was just very different. Yeah. To go to the same protocols but it just like you didn't see like human face yeah. <laughs> besides your teammate in yeah. a long time. But um yeah, and it it was just for the most part it was pretty I guess similar as in terms of like COVID, in terms of COVID, yeah. were there there were no fans there, right? There, well, there were no international fans, okay. but they did have select few that they would have come out for certain events. A lot for their cross country skiing that would come out and do the chants for Team China, and got to learn that really well. Yeah, and cheering them on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they said that it was just going to be local like in uh in tokyo that it was just going to be japanese originally before like i feel like it shut all down like a week or two before we got there they were like no fans i was like well that's interesting you know that's definitely going to be an advantage for them uh being able to have local fans there but But so there were weird there were chinese fans there there were yeah there and that apparently they were um they went through a process and were selected hand selected to be there interesting people it's a very different way of life there for sure yes yes. but I guess like um for like I think for you like it'd be a huge difference because you're so used to competing Mm. with a crowd and the Paralympic athletes a lot of times like World Cups or races the crowds aren't there you don't really have that many spectators unless we go to Italy or Netherlands or Germany for cycling and that's okay they're there because that they love the sport regardless if it's Paralympic or not so it didn't really feel different. It kind of felt more like just a smaller World Cup than a games, mm, minus all sense. the cameras that were everywhere. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
one, I want to talk about this in a second, but Beijing, you won three gold medals and four silver, which is just like <laughs> insane. I see this big smile on your face creeping across. <laughs> um, did you go into this games with very high expectations? Were you like, I'm going in, I want to win gold, gold or bust in these specific events? Or like, how did that, how did you approach these specific games? Because you've been to six now, which is also insane. Um, <laughs> but the fact that you won three gold and four silver at these games, like what was it about it? Um, well, I definitely was entering compared to four years ago in Pyeongchang. I was not competing, didn't have the ability to compete at my 100% because yeah. I broke my elbow right before and I was competing yeah. with that. And I mean, I'm so proud of what I was able to achieve there, but I kind of set a lot of expectations on myself which I don't know why I chose the time where you only have six months of transition from one sport to the other. This is the games you're going to put all your expectations on yourself for. <laughs> okay. But, but I at did. Least you, at least you realized that. At least you realized it was like I a did. bit crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's days I'm like, whoa, got this. Whatever's going to happen, happen. I'm excited. I'm going to set this goal. And then there were days like, why am I doing this? Like talking to my boyfriend, Aaron. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. I can't do this. Why, why are we doing this? But... Um, I, and then also, for me personally, Beijing 2022 Winter Games was kind of a full circle of my whole Paralympic experience, because in 2008, Beijing is where I learned about the Paralympics, and I wanted to make that team, and I didn't make that team. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted it to be a huge statement of <laughs> not expecting seven medals, but just like a good statement of I had cross country is all I was eyeing, and I thought I really had a chance in. Um and I definitely surprised myself <laughs> to actually not only set this goal, but to actually achieve it and surpass what you thought was even possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I, so I do want to talk about that time frame from Tokyo to Beijing. So obviously Tokyo got pushed back. Beijing did not. It stayed as it was supposed to be 2022. Yeah. What was your mindset like when you heard that Tokyo was pushed back? First, I was relieved because they were talking about canceling it yeah. entirely. And it's one of those things like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness. It's just postponed. Totally. And then and then an hour later, you realize what it meant. <laughs> I was like, hold up. What does that mean for the winner side? And that means it's just like, so is this really going to happen? And then that hit. And I was like well shoot do i just yeah. focus on tokyo and not do beijing because i really want to do well in the summer games or or what um yeah so it was a relief and then like oh my gosh and then it was kind of like well why not let's see yeah. what can happen and like i've trained for both and it's gonna be either way tokyo and beijing kind of had an asterisk to it because of the COVID protocols and the way some countries had the resources to train, some didn't. Yeah. And this was a historic time for a games to have a winter and summer in one in one year. And um, it's going to be a pretty epic White House visit because they're combining it with the summer and winter. Athletes. Yeah, that's, that'll be incredible. Because I feel like not many Olympians thought like, oh, okay, I'm going to like not not that many athletes compete winter and mm-hmm. and summer. So did you 
plan ahead of time like okay this is going to be my lead up into summer olympics and then like training wise and then i'm gonna have to condense two years of training into six months like was that what happened yes because That's I, incredible. Was still, I was i brought my bike out um last winter season okay and the whole entire like, i was focusing i was training and racing for the nordic season and that world cup season but the focus of my training and where I was putting the eggs in the basket was in cycling. So I was doing three to four times a day training where skiing and then I would be also riding the bike in the early mornings and then the evenings. Um, so you were you were doubling up on training. You were you were training skiing and cycling at the same time. Yeah. Wow. OK. Yeah, because it was more just to keep the mu- skiing muscles awake and active, but then okay. really make sure that transition whenever I'm done with the Nordic season, it's not like I'm actually getting able to be into close to race shape leading into Tokyo and <laughs> until sorry. an unexpected surgery happened until oh. all that stuff. Oh gosh. So, so do you typically do that? Like if it was a normal cadence of summer, winter, two years apart, would you be doing cycling and skiing at the same time? Yes, but I wouldn't be okay. doing the intensity of it. So like got I it. got up before training for Nordic at nine in the morning I would get up around like 5.30 and would spend an hour and a half on the bike and then would do the actual workouts for skiing and then the afternoon gym and then come back and do another spin on the bike. Um, that is so incredible. Hours. Yeah. Yeah. Not, 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 not more hours, a lot more hours. And like, I can't, well, I'm, I go to training for an hour and a half and then I lift for like maybe an hour. Obviously there's a lot of other stuff, but the intensity of training for endurance sports mm-hmm. that you do. It's just like there's just so much time spent training. Yeah. Well, that's why I always – I'm like a little jealous of my boyfriend who's also a Paralympic athlete and he does track and field. And it's just like his track workouts, when they're done, they're like an hour and a half, hour and 45 long, and they're done. But like, yeah, like you said, like endurance, you're just out there and your whole day, four hours later. Totally. And you're like, okay, well, now it's dinner and I don't want to cook. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So would you say that – you prefer the closer timeline or would you rather it, you know, you're happy it's going to go back to two and two. (laughs) I'm happy it's going to go back to two and two. I'm freaking out that there's already only two years until Paris right now. And I, I thought it was three years. And my mom was like, no, it's two years. Just like not even. (laughs) I I definitely want the two year. Um, uh, Yeah. Six months was a cool experience and all, but I think I would rather stick to two. I mean, you're very good at the six month <laughs> cadence. You're like, this you're one very successful. time, this one time it worked out. I you're don't like, know. All right, all yeah, right, all right. check that oh, out. Would you say? I don't want to say like. Do you have a favorite Olympics or Paralympics? But like, do you? Would you say that Beijing was because you won your most amount of medals, or what would you say is your favorite? I, oh, I don't know. I think it's this experience as a whole. The yeah. whole like Paralympic Olympic experience and the village life, London I think had to is hands down my favorite experience. It was my first. It was my first experience ever. Yeah. And to be honest, I've never been surrounded by so many Paralympic para athletes like that ever in my life. So it was just mm-hmm. like kind of a little bit of a culture shock, a little bit of, wow, this is what I look like. Wow, so many people also do sports. I had no idea this existed. That's incredible. <laughs> but then. London just, as a Paralympic Games, they hit it out of the park with yeah. the stands were just full for rowing. It was packed stands and 
spectators and it just felt like a games i don't know like a little totally. big games and i think maybe i'm biased because i'm a coffee addict and they had in me the too me village. too okay <laughs> ignore I all know, this i stuff. see the setup behind you and i'm like <laughs> girls on it yep i think we have the same close to the same machine probably <laughs> um and it, like you could walk out of your the housing and there were like espresso machines and like little like cafe huts there and yeah um, it's just like the small things of that was really cool because for me i don't judge my experience based on the medals it's i like love that overall the whole entire experience for sure no i think that's great and it, it is so interesting how things differ from games to games and you, yeah. you've been to six now which is again and like <laughs> i had i started to write down as i was preparing for this the years and the medals you won and i got to like 2018 I was like all right this I, this is taking too long like there's so many specific but I blame it on being a Gemini just is that constantly. what tell me more yeah well you know Gemini's like hot and cold they're so complete opposite okay like the, the are they the season. twins yes oh my they're god that's twins. amazing that 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 you compete in both and you're a Gemini <laughs> that's so good it definitely is why you do it yeah but I don't know how sustainable it's getting I'm getting older and like You've but, you've got you've got two more in you. Come on. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. My yeah. goal is um, LA twenty twenty eight. I think would be a, an amazing Dang. Way to end it. Yeah, that would be incredible. That would be amazing. Well, so that's far in the future, but I want to go back to childhood for you and start at the beginning because you do have such an incredible story. Like I watched your Player Tribune um, YouTube video and talking about like. I think it was like, so you think, or so you want the whole story or something like that. And just hearing your story, hearing you talk about it, hearing your mom talk about it, which it like almost brought me to tears and not like in a, again, like a, a pity way by any means. I was like, I am so inspired by like the love and the commitment between the two of you and also just the inspiration that you are, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I would like you to maybe give a little rundown of what your childhood looked like and how you went from being an orphanage in Ukraine to being adopted and moving to the U.S. Um, because it's it's incredible. There's no other words. Yeah. There's no other word I can say. But um, <laughs> but yeah. But I, I I think a lot of our listeners probably do know a lot of your story. But I, I know that there will be people out there that don't. So I would love for you to take some time and talk about it. Yeah, I honestly, every single day, I have to like sit back and like, so wild to think where I am right now and all the opportunities I have and the ability I have to speak and be heard. It's to to think back to where I started out, which is all thanks to my mom, but I was born in Ukraine and I lived in three different orphanages and I was adopted when I was seven and a half and my mom, she actually learned about me when I was five and tried before my fifth birthday and she was trying to get me out of there for my fifth birthday. But Ukraine put a moratorium on all foreign adoptions and then there were some things going on legally wise within the U.S. as well and adoptions. And um, she, (laughs) my mom was like, well, Thank God she doesn't know I'm coming. She doesn't know anything about me. They didn't tell her anything, but she didn't realize that they that did they tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
They told me. And oh my god! I was asking where she was, and two years went by, and um, I mean, honestly, like my story, like I just lived what I knew. It's my mom who actually created a life for me and fought yeah. for me because yeah. during that time they were just trying to tell her to go to Russia and you you can get a baby within two months at max mm-hmm. and that's what she wanted at first she didn't want a seven-year-old and I think she realized that when she met me she was like oh boy I knew this was a bad idea because <laughs> I was I know. very very opinionated yeah exactly I love that I was like oh that's so good <laughs> well she tried to put these outfits together for me and I didn't speak English at all and she didn't speak Ukrainian but she saw the look in my eyes and I just went over there in the suitcase of clothes she brought and I rearranged the whole outfit well like, do you remember what the outfit was like I'm curious I, it, was it, like... it was patterns it had like green and black checkered patterns with like another complete different other thing and it's funny because going from someone who I had one outfit yeah. and that's all I wore until, and it was too big for me. So why on earth did I think that I could just have the right to go and rearrange it? <laughs> I think it's I, amazing. I don't know. But, yeah. um, so she chose to stick by me and cho- and only, she never went to see me in real life. She's basing my adoption, adopting me based on a picture. Yeah. And she said that this is my daughter. I'm going to wait for her however long it takes when and I when I, like I was like <laughs> oh my god like it was meant to be you know like that is just so incredible like I want to meet your mom one day. I want to meet you but I want to meet your mom as well um because hearing that was just like oh. she is such a feisty feisty independent strong incredible woman and, and mom and I think I mean there's something special to pe- any parent and family who chooses to adopt because it's just such a different journey and it's it's hard it's a it's a different toll and um she did it as a single parent and yeah so she ended up in 1997 um adopting me and everything came from ukraine to buffalo new york and the doctors there it was basically failure to thrive and they didn't really expect much of a life for me in Um, ukraine or in buffalo when i since when i got home like moving forward Got it. Because, well, also, should I stayed in Ukraine, they said I would not have made it past 10 because I was just, I was basically starving to death. My body was, I was 34 inches tall, weighed about like 35, 36 pounds. And um, that, and I was about to turn eight. I was, it was almost June. I was about to turn eight. So that is basically what a healthy three-year-old weighs not not an eight-year-old yeah and then I had to have a lot of um like surgeries I had both of my legs but I was missing the fibia and the tibia and my hands and just a whole lot of stuff and it wasn't until I went to a dentist because I didn't have a toothbrush or tooth care so I had came here with five abscess teeth and that's one of the first things that they did was fix my teeth for me Mm -hmm. and that's where through the x-ray they saw radiation in my teeth and the adult teeth that I had and because I have birth defects like it's not my birth defects were not just local to like my legs only 
they're on my legs, on my hands. I don't have any enamel on my teeth, which and radiation strips enamel in neutro. And I don't have a bicep on my right side, which is wonderful because I'll never have bicep tendon issues like I do on this side. So it's Way a to look on the bright side. Yeah, there's always a blessing in everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, I'm missing, like, I only have one kidney and just internal things that are also wrong. And the only thing that can affect your whole body as a whole, they said, was radiation. And, and you knew none of this before you got to the U.S.? I didn't know anything. My mom didn't know anything. She was given this cardboard, um, like, cutout thing of just had dates of the small medical things I had there. Mm. And it were a couple incidences that um, kind of occurred there that were jotted down, but nothing medical-wise. Yeah. That would help her. Yeah. And then I had to... Insane. I had to give back when she adopted me. I had to give back... Everything, all the clothes I had on me, including my underwear, I had to like return it back to them for the next kid, and literally. But you got all the clothes with patterns on it, so it was yeah, great. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, checkered and circles and lines do not go together. Yeah, you got gotta be like, mom, we gotta do better. We're on still, fashion. I love her, but she's still learning. We're still learning this, the patterns. Well, at least you know that. Were you exposed to any sports while you were in Ukraine? Like, what what's your first memory of sports? Um, my first memory of sport was in America when I yeah. s- tried ice skating. There was no sports at all, um, unless unless climbing bookcases is a sport. Then I think I probably made that sport there. You're a professional in that. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. I climbed so, so, anything and everything. Yeah. So your first time doing something athletic was in the U.S. and it was ice skating. Yeah. That's very Buffalo, New York. Of, very Buffalo, of, New York. <laughs> at the yeah. Pepsi Center. Yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and do you, you know, as a kid, do you remember being like, oh, like I, that's something I'm interested in? Because in, in listening to and reading, you know, your story, it sounded like your mom had a big influence on getting you involved in sports. So how did yeah. that, how did that come about? Well, first she tried to, she got me into ice skating. It was a local like um, ice skating group for kids with disabilities, people with disabilities. And it was more to kind of help me make friends and see Mm. people like me and to kind of be active in a way. My mom did not know really there was, I think, a future for sports for me either. Because just what, how like parasports is now so well known and opportunities are everywhere they just did not exist in buffalo yeah. besides ice skating or um and then when we moved to louisville kentucky it's kind of where it was a similar thing she didn't she pushed me into try rowing but it wasn't to be an athlete it wasn't to get into sports it was just because we just moved from buffalo to kentucky and she wanted me to make new friends kind of get out in the learn that whole land of the area and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I, that is when I realized the way it was approached to me and encouraged for me to try it was there's this adapted rowing. And I hated the fact that it was adapted rowing. And of course, I'm a 13 year old now and I have the world figured out just like I thought I had it figured out when I was seven in Ukraine. Totally, obviously. (laughs) So I didn't feel like, I hated the fact and resented the fact that because I, at that time, had a one real leg and one prosthetic leg, people thought I should do adapted instead of 
what I wanted to do the volleyball team with my friends in school. Um, and that was just not an option. And that kind of, but the thing is like, I finally told my mom like, okay, I'll try it. She was very persistent on it. As moms are. <laughs> As moms are in the best way possible. She was right all along every time. <laughs> yeah. It kills me to say it sometimes, but you have to give credit where it's due sometimes. Too. Totally. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. I, that's, the, that's the first time when I was 13, I was terrified to take my leg off, leave it on the dock, and just mm. to get in the boat and row. But that was the first time I actually felt in control and I felt like powerful of my body instead of hating my body in a way because I just let my prosthetic leg do all the talking for me instead of actually just <laughs> be a kid and be a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's so beautiful. The fact that it was like being on the water and, and feeling the power that like your body had to yeah. be able to go out there and do that. So how quickly did you think like, oh, this is something I, I want, I'm, I could be good at and I want to do seriously? Good at? Oh my gosh. That, <laughs> that wasn't until the end of London in 2012. What? Yeah. So okay. I started in, oh, I don't, I, I'm the biggest person where I doubt myself and do, do not believe in myself, but then borderline I'm the only one who like, no, I'll show you. I can do it. I'll show you. <laughs> it's a Gemini in you. Yes. <laughs> um but it was the moment of yes this is where I belong it was instant it Mm. was the pressure that I felt against the oar and pulling off and it was just also around the time where I I didn't realize how I suppressed a lot of things I did experience in Ukraine and just pretending like if it didn't happen it didn't happen but it wasn't on the water it was around that time i tried rowing and then all of a sudden just dreams and just things were happening and coming up and i would be waking up in this pool of sweat in my Mm. in my bed and just having all these issues and i i went to art therapy when i was a a kid but i hated going to therapy and verbalizing and talking because then it just makes everything so real that you don't that you're trying to pretend it didn't yeah which also isn't healthy no but you're a kid so yeah yeah and so it was more for me my way I was like rowing and sports wasn't sports competitive for me it was Mm. therapy for me it was a way for me to just kind of that release like if you know like you hit a ball so hard you could just feel it in your body you're like yeah yeah and you're just (laughs) That's kind of what yes. I don't know if you've ever done that. No, but. it's so true. Like sometimes I want to go just slam shots into the goal. Like yeah. no technique, just power. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of like that release I got afterwards was my way to kind of let it all out and process mm. things of of myself and just discover myself. And and then I was also was told I had to get a second leg amputated. So just the, all the frustration and anger I let out on the water and just doing sports and and then somebody was like I'll race you to the tree and that's where I realized how competitive I was because I was not okay with losing by like a little inch and even though they were using their legs (laughs) and I didn't care Um, yeah you still wanted to win yeah and then 
they were like, oh, there's some races, some local races, and that's where it kind of slowly started building to... I'm very competitive by nature anyways. I... <laughs> like, I... My mom tried to play games in Ukraine when she... When we were going through the adoption process, and uh-huh. I was winning everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom can't win at Go Fish. <laughs> and so I started cheating... So she would win. Okay. But I couldn't handle it. So she won and I just couldn't handle it at all. So I had to go back and I had to let her know what I did. Like, I just oh. can't do it anymore. You're like, just so you know, you didn't actually win. Just yes. Make that, make that clear. Yeah. That's kind of a rude child. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized that my competitive nature was deep in me way when I was younger. That, mm-hmm. And then when I had an opportunity to combine the therapy and of sport and transform it into actually getting better and growing. Um, that's where I kind of realized, like, not even seeing myself as an athlete, but just, like, I want to see what I can do and how much farther I can go. For sure. Was going through the set, like, how did you handle having one – leg amputated and then there was a period of time and then you had to have your second one so how did you handle that like what did that look like do you feel like that you went through a period of time that you had to like adjust in terms of the rowing life I mean that's yeah that's probably a stupid question like obviously but I'm like how like I can't well imagine being a teenager and going through that yeah yeah twice so I went yeah um, well nine and then 14 yeah. But the it was kind of strange because in Ukraine they told me I was going to get a new leg, but they said I was going to get brand new legs. In America they can do that. They have mm. they can do everything and um so they said you're going to wake go to sleep and you're going to wake up with brand new legs that are your real ones. But when that happened when I was 9, I had a little goodbye ceremony for my little leg cuz it was so tiny that I just it's so so creepy. I shouldn't ever admit this to anybody. Really. No, I, no, I, I love <laughs> but that. But it was my little leg, and I would go to sleep, like, holding it, and, like, I would, it, I could put my hair back behind my ear with it, and it was just, I attached to it like it was my dog. It's not, it's not, it's so weird. I don't know why. Do you think you did that because you knew you were going to lose, like, did you, you knew you were going to lose it, or it was just, like? I don't think so. I mean, I okay. think it, part of it was just. Well, I didn't know I was going to lose it until I started having more and more conversations with my mom. Yeah. yeah. And then I still didn't know what losing really meant. Mm-hmm. But we had like a little goodbye for the leg and went through our process. And um, it was so fast with that amputation, actually. Like, it was It was hard for like the first week or so and pain management. But then it was within three months, I was up and learning how to walk on a prosthetic leg and it was okay and i think as a nine-year-old your kids are so resilient and they're just so adaptable it's when you're 13 when you're 14 so at 13 i was told they can no longer save it after telling me all these years that i will never have to amputate the second one Mm. and then they said you can't save it then i i finally they just said which I never understand how it's so casual for them to just be like, let us know when you're ready to amputate your leg. You're like, never? <laughs> like, oh, just so casually, okay, how's next Thursday work for you? Yeah, exactly. I have an afternoon off then. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's um, ridiculous. Okay. 
but that was that amputation was a lot harder and I struggled with it and it was um because a couple things happened with it where the only reason I, w- I said, okay, I'm ready to amputate this leg is if they could promise that it's below the knee. Because mm. if you have your knee, there's there's so much you can do. And you can still run and jump and ride a bike and look and look normal, dress normal. Compared to if it goes all the way up to your hips. Mm-hmm. And they promised me that that would be okay. They could save the knee. But then when I was in pre-op with all the happy juice and I'm just... <laughs> God knows in what la-la land I am. Um, he, the doctor comes up and just says that after looking over at the x-rays, we're going to we're choosing to amputate above the knee again as your other one. Mm. But I don't remember that. And so I woke up and tried to sit up and just felt because you're so top-heavy and saw it was above the knee and they're even. And that was hard because I ended up being, because it was a last-minute change on the amputation yeah um, I was there in the hospital t- bed bound on a wound vac for six months and an additional four months after that because he didn't leave enough skin to close it <laughs> and then they the wrong leg was numb the le- leg that was not amputated at, when I was nine was numbed but not the one that was just amputated and does so this doctor to- still have his license <laughs> it seems like this seems like a yeah. big it was I went through a huge resentment of a whole lot of life and that's where I just really hit this wall of depression of just hating life and unlike now where you have so many athletes Paralympic athletes that now are on billboards and they're on TV and you could see what's possible and there's still opportunities in sport outside of your current surgery situation yeah that didn't exist so I thought my life was over, especially being a double above the knee amputee. And, um, and then then I got an eating disorder there. And then mm. the hospital was trying to tell my mom she's depressed. And she was like, well, you think you kind yeah. of messed up her leg. Yeah. The only thing that really kept me going and kept me motivated and hungry for life is to get back out on that boat, though. Mm. And I was going to ask how, how sport played a, played a role yeah. in that. And yeah. that... I mean, my mom saved my life, like, by adopting me. But she saved it twice by adopting me and by introducing the world of sports to me. Yeah. But then it was sports that saved it the third time in that process. And, I mean, sports is, when they say it's, like, your life, it is my life. I would not have, and I'll, I don't know. I can't even think about it with not having sports in my life. Uh, Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I agree, and I've haven't been through an ounce of what you have you know as an athlete as a person and so you have the second one you were you had to be because of the doctor you know months until you're back on the water so what did that reintroduction look like and again you said you didn't feel like you were great at rowing until 2012 (laughs) but so like talk talk about that progression of just like, I'm, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, so I didn't actually find out about 
Well, when I was in the hospital, all I, I promised myself is the minute I'm out, I will never sit still. I will never – I say that, and here I am on my couch and my bed. <laughs> You're so. like, I've been on the couch for the last two weeks. Yes. No one needs to we'll, – we'll edit that out. It's fine. I'll blame that on Netflix for all the yeah, things. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but just, like, made that promise myself to never – like, if the opportunity's going to be there, I'm not going to just sit there. I'm going to do everything I can and be active as I can with my body. And um, it – then around 2000, end of 2007, beginning of 2008, I, somebody said at the rowing program said that you should look into the Paralympics. You're young enough at that time that um, you might have a future in it. And I was like, the para what? I have never heard of it. Really? So to, no. No. I had to Google it, and I didn't understand what it was still. Okay. And the athletes, like, I still, like, I never, the U.S. wasn't, sharing stories like they are now of it's so true athletes it's so, so and no it's idea. it's it like speaks volumes about visibility but yeah absolutely can, yeah 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 and it's wild because 2008 wasn't that long ago to no. think of where we are now it's now <laughs> totally and it's cool to think about like where we are now to where 2028 back at home and what it will do for the u.s it's incredible yeah for sure for sure okay but, so someone yeah. told you about this and they're like oh i'll look into it <laughs> i looked into it and I, what I, what I was more drawn to is that you're wearing Team USA or USA or the American flag. It's not about masters. It's not about just your sport or your hometown. It was something so much bigger. Yeah. And I fell in love with that. And I just was like, really? Can I do that though? Like I have no legs. Do they know? Like do I can do that? They have that? Should we let them know ahead of time? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I love hearing that because it is like being being part of Team USA is so special, and it really does. Like like you said, it's not about masters. It's not about where you grew up. It's you're you're part of this group of athletes that represent this country and get to compete, and we're all on the same team. It's like especially yeah. especially in soccer. Like we we obviously have our World Cup, and we go and we compete over there, and we're you know, represent, we're the only team representing the U.S., but you go to the Olympics, Paralympics, and it's like, no, we're all Team USA. And it's, yeah. I think it's, I think that's one of my favorite parts of, of being part of the games. It totally is. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's like a feeling you can't really, it's hard. Everyone's like, well, how's your experience? How does it feel like? And it's like something that you just have to feel. It's hard to explain it into words. For sure. For sure. That whole experience. Yeah. So I, I read that. So you didn't know about Paralympics. Somebody told you, which I I love that it was it was like, by the way, you could, you know, win a bunch of medals, seventeen medals, be the most decorated Paralympian of all time, and you had no idea about them until you were what, like probably fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, uh, I think I was actually yeah even older than that. Okay, I think so. I was like and eighteen ish. Okay, so 18. you're rowing. You don't like you're, you're obviously good enough that someone would suggest this to you. But I read that I in... I don't know good then. I think they <laughs> really? just saw young. And kind of the similar thing to, like, what they saw in me in skiing is, or in rowing is what the coaches saw in me in skiing but thought that there wasn't enough time to commit to me because I was just too much of a basket case because I would just go and put all my energy and just, like, power but no technique whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> so I think, like, they saw, like, it's just learning how to harness it and it's there and the drive and everything to be an athlete and the commitment is there. Yeah. Well, and you also saw, you saw the 2008 Paralympics, and I assume this is your first time seeing it, and that was kind of what... 
That's the games like, I wanted to make and I okay. didn't. So when I and, learned okay. about it, rowing was the first time it was going to be at the Paralympic Games. Was in two thousand eight in Beijing. Got it. Okay. And I was like, okay, I want to. I want to be there. I'm going to go to those games. I'm going to do everything I can. Well, that's where the whole world kind of for sports really, I think, ignited for me. Mm. Is when I did not make those games, and the person who chooses that team said that I was too small to be an athlete and it's just not realistic that I need to do something outside of sport. And and I, she's they were they were right. I I'm a small person. Like even okay. sometimes now like I have this oversized sweatshirt on so you don't tell. But some people are like, "Oh wow, you're really tiny. I thought you'd be bigger." Well, I feel like a lot of people say that like I get that too. People are like, "You look bigger on TV." And I'm like, I think the camera adds 10 pounds. Like they're not kidding yeah. about that. But <laughs> but okay, so they think you're too small and tell you you so you don't make 2008 and that no. you think is what lit the fire in you oh that is for sure what lit the fire especially okay. her words that followed that too and um because that just made me frustrated because my whole entire life i've been told what you can do and what mm-hmm. you can do how mm-hmm. you can walk or that you can't walk or whatever what body you get to keep or not yeah and i just really wanted to prove her wrong and <laughs> i told my coaches there and rowing that like i'm gonna be there i'm gonna go to the paralympics and i will be there and i'm gonna show her wrong <laughs> and so what did what did that change look like like when, when that when you were turned down or you know you didn't make it like what what changed in your preparation and your your approach to 2012 i think i took it more seriously i actually saw what it could be and you mm. know it's one of those things i don't know if you've had an experience where like you sometimes, you sometimes have to lose something to really actually know how much Absolutely. you want it and what it really is going to take. And, and that's honestly like losing that sometimes gives you that extra power and that secret weapon if you want to use it in the right way. A hundred percent. I think that's what happened is like when, just because I wanted to be there and I wanted to represent Team USA, didn't mean that it was just because you want it, you're going to get it kind of thing. You have to work for it. And um, I, I committed everything. So I, to the point where I was working and just quit work, I moved away from home. I went to, um, Sarasota, Florida. And after I got a rowing partner, cause the, my category, you have to rely on a rowing partner in mixed gender double boat. So basically just that leaving home and just committing everything to, to be there in London. So how did it feel when you made the team? Unreal. It's unreal. <laughs> it didn't so feel good. real. It's so embarrassing. I probably should never admit this again either. But here I so like, Yes, we're I getting all never, these admissions. <laughs> I will never forget when we so we officially well and like the whole way it went down because in rowing you 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 qualify your boat, you don't qualify yourself. And so the team that went in two thousand eight, they failed to qualify the a slot for the two thousand twelve. Okay. And so that meant my rowing partner, Rob Jones, and I had to go to the last World Cup, which was the last opportunity. And by then, there's only two slots available for a boat for in London. And so Rob and I had to basically come one, two, either. And hmm. we've been rowing together for like less than a year. We're the smallest crew out there and the least experienced crew together. Okay. And the people that are there are the people who got bronze in 2008 and they're from 
um, Brazil and Australia and 10 other boats. And I'm like, okay, cool. So this isn't going to happen. <laughs> How are we supposed to do that? Yeah. And um, we get, but we somehow do, we advance to the A final and then we end up winning and beating out this, making a huge upset in those countries. And we qualified the boat. So then we had to go to New Jersey and Princeton and qualify ourselves as our mm. team for that slot. And the minute that, so we, when we won that, and then a couple of weeks later, we got our Team USA kits mailed. <laughs> My rowing partner just like looks at it, ah, right size, puts it back in his suitcase. Kelly, I, I slept in mine instantly. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's embarrassing. No, it's not. It's, it's so, so special. <laughs> it's so cool. Like that is what that is. No, that's so good. I hung it up where I pass it in the door. So that way it's the last thing I saw when I went to bed and the first thing I saw. So I did not forget what I was working for. That's incredible. It was really <laughs> ridiculous. It, but no, it it's not amazing. at all. It's so it's so it's true. And I love that you're admitting that, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's so good because that's the, tr that's the truth. Like you <laughs> wanted it so badly and you, it's like you, you knew how special it was because it is like, and that should never be forgotten or taken for granted. Um, 20, you go to the Olympics, first Olympics, Paralympics, you win bronze. Like talk me through <laughs> that. Cause it, we we won bronze in twenty in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one whatever Tokyo yeah yeah and so we're like you you've already said being at the games it's more about the experience it's not about medals that sort of thing but still you, you medal at your first Paralympics <laughs> so what was that like if you're putting your your you know your yeah. team gear Sleeping up in my exactly <laughs> yeah were you like just over the moon stoked on like what was it freaking out I was freaking <laughs> out I was. So, like, it was just wild because my goal was to make it to the A final. I didn't mm -hmm. care what happened. But if we can make it to the A final at the Paralympic Games, that is a gold medal. And that's a win. Rob, my rowing partner, was going for gold or the podium. And he's like, no, we're going to win. I'm like, okay, well, let's be realistic. <laughs> Two. Buddy, let's be realistic. <laughs> oh, my God. But so we when we went and we actually made it to the A final, and we were, I think, like fourth or fifth best. Then it kind of your goal switched. Mm. Kind of, it's like a little bit of a bite, and you're like, okay, maybe we can do something here. And then so we switched to like shoot for the moon, and who knows where you land, kind of thing. And yeah, we are fighting. I will never forget the roar of the crowd. And rowing is a huge sport in London in UK. No, I know, too. huge. And like we're in the last two hundred meters, and I just like blackout i can't even because normally we were communicating and i was bousy so i'm telling him like what to do and where we are and we're tied so china of course wins no surprise that's what they do when they show up but and then it was china i don't want to say france i forgot and then it was third and fourth the u.s like us and the british boat and oh. people were screaming for the British boat. They were not cheering for for, for Robin Oksana at all. De definitely say. not. <laughs> and like, you couldn't hear anything. And then crossed the finish line. And it was literally, in reality, it was only 10 seconds. But it felt like we sat there for three minutes. and Because it was a photo finish. And they had one, two, but they wouldn't say who the third place was. 
Oh my god, so And now I'm just telling myself, like, oh my god, Rob, I will kill myself if we don't get third place. All of a sudden, I'm like being dramatic as can be. <laughs> yeah, says gonna... the one who just wanted to make it to the final. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then I was like, oh my god, I'm freaking out. And then it said USA GB, like USA third, GB fourth, by hundred tenths of a second. It was so tight. And then Rob just does a fist pump, and I'm like, ah! screaming and freaking out. I'm a very passionate, emotional person. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're the, we're the same. <laughs> and then it was, <laughs> I was so terrified because in rowing, you row to the ceremony awards dock. Everyone else goes back to their normal, the normal dock you launch off from. I was so scared. A, to wear that uni, the tight uni in front of everybody. Because I didn't realize that we had to stand in it and it was spandex and super tight. And then I was so I couldn't I was so excited I was shaking in my legs I couldn't balance so I didn't know I was like oh my god I can't <laughs> I don't want to be that person that falls because I'm oh so my, excited oh my gosh that'd be a great story though <laughs> what was the what was the first conversation with your mom like after you had your, got your bronze medal oh my gosh she was just like cheesing from ear to ear for like Aww. five minutes straight and just my aunt was there and and. My home coach, like Bobby, was there from 2000 when I was 13 years old when I first got in the boat. Wow. Um, and my mom's just like, You did it. You guys actually did it. I didn't think it was possible, but you did it. Mom, always being honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she was just so, she gives the best hugs too. And so it's just, it was more like the hug that kind of spoke all the words. Yeah. But. That's yeah, that's amazing. So you 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 go to London, you get bronze. At what point are you like, all right, I want more and I'm also gonna do winter <laughs> Paralympics and I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna win I'm gonna be the most decorated of all time. Like was did you you kinda said after twenty twelve is when you realized, oh, I could be really good at this. And is that when you're like I'm I'm in and I'm doing both because also this is a two part question. At what point did you start skiing? Yeah. And like, at what point did you make the decision? I'm also going to do the winter Paralympics. It was an accident. I had I an had accident. No, a girl. I didn't know the winter Paralympics existed. No. I didn't know what I was. I shouldn't say that either, but I had no. never seen it. What? I didn't even know it was a thing. Like, okay, this is bad, but I was watching, I think like, was it maybe the Vancouver or something? And I'm like, why would anybody want to ski in spandex and shoot? Like, this is such a that weird... That is a good I question. It. That's a good question. Yeah. Which, yeah, I need to just stay away from spandex sports is what I really need to do because that's all I'm <laughs> Yeah, that's all stuck you're... In. Exactly. But it was... So in 2000... So in, at the end of that race, standing on that podium, that's where I realized... Not that I'm good at this. I realized, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I think I can be an athlete. Like maybe mm. I can be an athlete mm-hmm. and saw myself in that. I never really saw myself as good in anything. And um, 2013 World Championships for rowing that was in South Korea, um, I ended up injuring my back a little bit beforehand. And at the last 100 meters of that what came down to be another sprint between us and Ukraine, and we got fourth that time. 
uh, I ended up injuring my back and that's where kind of the doctors I got home said that my rowing career is done. Mm. And then, so that's 2013, a year after you've gone. Okay. Yeah. And I was all on board to say, okay, we, we, we got third with this little time. We can definitely go for more and yeah. upgrade this. Yeah. And my rowing career ended at that race. But then we were there at a, we went to a rowing event in Texas to show um, like a local CrossFit gym of how to adapt it for military guys. They're trying to make it a military adaptive like CrossFit thing. Okay. And we were there to show how we adapted our rowing orgs. At that same place, there was a performance director and a coach from the Nordic side, para-Nordic side, was there to show how you can adapt the ski erg. And she overheard that I wanted to try skiing. And I did. I wanted to try skiing, but I said I wanted to try snowboarding, not <laughs> skiing. Because snowboarding looks cool. You okay. have the helmet, the goggles. It's just like, it's just badass. I don't, I don't know why. I just, I've always loved it and thought it was cool. Okay. Instead, I was invited to try a camp cross-country skiing. And I was horrible. Oh my gosh, I was horrible. I was a huge, I went through their pole budget probably like within two minutes I oh broke my everything. god <laughs> and I just didn't know it was bad but that's what really how bad I was is what really really inspired me and got me going and excited about I want to figure this out like yeah I want to know how do you how do you not fall into rocks how do you stop how do you do this and then um the only reason I learned about that as a like about the Winter Paralympics is because I learned that the games weren't going to be in Sochi in 2014 in Russia. And it was so close to where I was born into or the country I was born. Mm-hmm. And I really thought maybe that would be my way to, if I can make it there, I can get a ticket and go back to Ukraine and find my mm. birth parents. And so that was my driving force for that. That's incredible. <laughs> so you, you accidentally got into it and then, like the fact that it was in Sochi, you know, was the underlying yeah. drive to get you there. So Yeah. And then it was also because I always had this thought in my mind, and I don't know if it's just because I was a girl and in some ways like in like you just kind of I felt like and I was kind of told that like Rob was such a strong rower. He's so strong and I thought how much did I contribute to our bronze medal in rowing? Like, was mm. it because he's just so strong, he pulled us across, or did I actually, can I actually be an athlete? Am I actually good? So cross-country skiing and biathlon, it's you're, you start on the start line by yourself, and it was the first time in a first sport where it's just you. And okay. I thought it would be the ultimate test to see, can I really do this? Like, what yeah. am I really made of? And then I really surprised myself. I love that that was a reasoning behind it. The fact that some, <laughs> the fact that people would even like that you would you you are part of a doubles. That's what you doubles yeah. that is wins a medal, and you're here thinking like people are m- making you think like oh, the, uh, the your guy partner is the one who won it for yeah. you. Yeah. Well, and I kind of was wondering that all along too. Like mm. I knew, I could feel the power. I knew he was strong. Yeah. And I just didn't know what 
I could contribute if I was contributing to it. So how quickly did you feel like I, I could actually make the Olympics in or Paralympics in skiing? Oh, not not quickly <laughs> because but it happened so you made you made it happen quick yeah yeah so, so what did that what did that look like like honestly our performance director so the our coach Eileen Carey who's the director now of the program she saw and she's the one who told the director John of she's got potential she okay she just needs to learn she just needs to be kind of reeled in a little bit yep my spirit animal is Tasmanian devil because that is how I ski and okay <laughs> So that's, that's the reason you break so many poles. <laughs> yes. And he was like, I don't know if there's just enough time to really teach her all that. And she said, just give her a chance. And um, and then it kind of did. Just kind of the minute, the biggest thing for me was learning how to adapt to to skiing. Because what I didn't realize, our, that cross-country skiing only counts for your core, but they don't count for your hands and I don't have any muscle in my hands and I can't grip. And so one of the reasons why it was so hard for me to learn skiing at first was I had to learn, I needed to tape my poles to control them better. And it was when I started doing that, that I actually started the power going into the snow instead of just flaying around everywhere. And, um, I think it was like world cup in Canada a few months before Sochi and then followed by Germany where I got on the podium and, and then was named to the team. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> We're like, how did I find myself in cold weather when I thought that I was just going to be like the summer games yeah. athlete? I had a good tan line thing going with rowing. Not, not so much in skiing. Yeah. In 2014, you won silver and bronze, right? Yeah. And then the, the silver was so I actually would have potentially medaled in my first event in biathlon mm-hmm. because I actually end up cleaning which makes no sense the cleaning meaning I hit all my targets and I've okay. never cleaned before in mm-hmm. leading into it okay but my coach said to catch that girl and I didn't realize that girl was going in for another lap and I was going into the finish so I zeroed in on her like a target like a hot uh-huh. little missile and I just like followed her <laughs> All until somebody was screaming at me and saying, you have to like, turn around, turn around. I was sitting in second place and got fourth because I had to turn around and get back on course. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then the second day, <laughs> I really made sure to see where the finish was yeah. <laughs> and pay attention to it. And then oh it ended up gosh. being the first Olympic or Paralympic medal in cross-country skiing for Team USA in 20 years, which was pretty crazy yeah especially that you picked it up <laughs> a year and a half before yeah yeah 2000 the end of 2013 and then 2014 is where that's yeah. yeah that's amazing did you end up going to ukraine after those games i didn't but i'll never forget driving from the airport that you fly into and driving to the village because it was like three hours away could see your you could see the black sea but you see the silhouette of like a city and mm-hmm. that was ukraine mm. like southern ukraine and i'll never forget just driving on that bus and just looking over and knowing i'm i'm this close to where i was born to where i was born and um regardless of the experiences i had there the the not so good experiences and the treatment i've been always so proud of where I came from and 
it's been important for me to remember where I come from and just, I've always, always wanted to go back there and I thought that would be the time. Um, but yeah, instead, I guess in some ways, the path you think you're on for the reason you're on isn't really for that. It was to really get into sports and to be, to realize for yourself that you are an athlete and you're capable of doing it. It wasn't a guy who pulled you across the the finish line. Yeah, exactly. So after that, you know, you talked about back injury, so you're no longer doing rowing, but you still go to the summer games, but now it's in cycling. So I feel like it's like anytime (laughs) you're up against something or you're like dealt okay, bad card or bad hand or whatever, you're like, I'll just go find a better one, you know? Like, and, and I, I think that's what I love so much about your story is the fact that you just, you're constantly like, oh, this is what I'm, I have to do or this is what I can't do. Like, I'll show you what I can do. Our sponsors at WIS know that mentorship is key to building a more inclusive and positive some world and that a great coach or mentor can make all the difference in somebody's career. What do you think has been the biggest piece of advice you've received along your journey? I think it's one of those things that there is a lot of opportunities we all have in those moments where you think like this is career ending. Mm-hmm. And I always thought rowing for me was, I always say it was my wedding dress. Like at the minute you, they say when you put, I never put one on, but they say whenever you put one on, like you just know it's the one. And so like it was, it was the thing I thought, it was where I belong. This is what I'm meant to do. And I think in, in those areas, in those times where I was told multiple, multiple times, like, you can't row anymore, your career's over, you can't do this, it's so easy just to give up and say, like, well, I don't want to do anything if I can't do this. And mm-hmm. I had opportunities that came, and it's, it's on me, it's on us. If an opportunity, if that door closes, but there's five more open, it's what you make of it if I just chose to not ever walk through any of the other five doors that opened after that one closed I would not be sitting here talking with you I would not be able to have ski with so many young athletes because they saw me skiing in Sochi and thought they could do it and it's just it's not I don't I never thought about it as um like I guess it is pushing through adversity or whatever, but it's it's more just being open to the opportunities when every single door is closed or the ones you wanted. And for me, I learned it was hard for me to accept and learn, but I had to and finally learned rowing was not my forever. It was what got me into the sports, into sports, into Paralympics. And it helped me get onto the frozen snow that I was supposed to be on, not water, just frozen water instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the first, it was the high school boyfriend, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the yeah. wedding dress. Wasn't Very the rarely dress. do you keep that high school boyfriend. That but. is true. Not to say it doesn't work out, but yeah. some people do. I have like four more questions and they're like fun. Um, I think they're fun. Um, okay. First one is your boyfriend, Aaron Pike is also a Paralympic athlete. Um, so how has that relationship like impacted you as an athlete, as a competitor? Do you guys train together? Like, what does that look like? Um, we do train together on the skiing side kind of a little bit. And then he, I like to say, because I, he does wheelchair racing, I do cycling. Mm-hmm. And for them in wheelchair racing, a lot of times a, a bike or a hand cyclist will pull them because they're able to go at higher speeds. 
so I will poll him. So I always say, like, <laughs> I, I take 4% of everything that your winnings and your success. Totally. But, yeah, and, like, I'm really pulling him this time. <laughs> yeah. But, um, he, he, like, the perfect yin to us. Like, we're, like, the perfect yin and yang because he is so cool, calm, collected, always so confident and positive. I'm that person that I doubt myself. I don't mm. trust myself. I sometimes, I do, but I sometimes feed into that, like, what if I don't? And that fear of, I don't want to say fear of failure, but of letting everyone else and yourself down. Yeah. And he, honestly, it wasn't, my mom's done so much for me and my coaches and my support team has done so much. But it wasn't until Aaron in my life that he walked into my life that I really started thriving as an athlete and becoming mm. successful. And it was, I realized the right person, when you when the right person is there by your side, he just compliments you and brings out even the better version in you that you ever thought you had. And he does that for me in training. And we definitely push each other and banter together and have a very competitive relationship. Yeah. But he's just, and also like, just always tells me like, okay, you just stop with your thoughts. You you had an incredible season. Stop talking to yourself that way. You say this every time. Oh, I'm not good. I don't have enough time. I just one more year, and then you end up going and you're doing well. And yeah, <laughs> um, he's yeah, he's incredible. So we both have done ESPN body issue. What went in that, into that decision for you? Oh my gosh. So at first I was freaking out and didn't want to do it. The idea of me being naked to the world just didn't seem like it was the best thing for everyone. Yeah. But then um, I was talking to some, the media people for us rowing and they were saying that you have an opportunity to represent rowing, but also just kind of told me how an opportunity is to for like show like the power of like, what your body can do and show it in a positive way. And when she said that, I kind of thought about it and she was totally right. I was thinking about it and I was looking in the mirror and that's where it hit me like, oh my gosh, like I, there's still parts of me I hate, but it's because I'm falling into what everyone says. It's because I have no legs, my hands are weird and all these reasons of why I should hate myself, but I'm letting them do that. And then it kind of transformed to, this is a way to show that beauty comes in so many different shapes and sizes and forms and colors. And and just because it's beautiful to one doesn't mean it's going to be beautiful to someone else. But that's okay because that's what makes it really cool. And also represent my sport and rowing and kind of... It, I didn't realize I was going to get more out of it. I don't know if you felt this way, but like... Well, you got... you, Yeah, I don't know. Because... They said it was going to be super small and intimate shoot and it would like be okay. Well, the first picture was with 30 or 40 other people and it was dropping the robe and holding the boat up over my head. And I was like, I was not expecting this at all. Oh <laughs> but, but they were incredible. It was absolutely, and it was incredible because like one of the production people, they, they took off her shoes to put on mine because it looked better with the picture. And um, 
they were so incredible and so nice. And it was one of those things that, like, I ended up finishing hanging on a rope <laughs> with a boat in the background, and that was the picture. Yeah. But it kind of, at the same time, I, w- I thought I was doing it for society and to break the mold of what is normal, what is beautiful, and um, just the body, athlete's body. I kind of also broke it to myself because it was all those things that I didn't really believe in myself and it helped me go through that and really appreciate it as well. Yeah. I, but what about yours? Uh, no, I totally agree on all those things. Um, and it is interesting. You're like, oh, I want to put out there, you know, what – there's so many different shapes, sizes, colors, everything, like, of bodies, right? And even as mm-hmm. athletes, like, they come in all different packages. And – I I actually really wanted to do it and I knew what it was so I knew what I was signing up for. Uh, one because I was like I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna ever look as good or like as fit as I do now and I'm like I I love that I built this body you know and I love that I've come yes to love it and accept it for exactly what I look like and it doesn't look like the people in the magazines the women in the magazines what we yeah. all have been taught or told that's what beauty looks like and and I think that's why I think kind of what you were saying I got a lot out of it personally from just being like no I'm I it took till I was you know in late 20s 30s I don't remember when I did it I think it was 2018 I don't know how old it was but um it took me a long time to get to a point where I was like I love my body I'm proud of my body I you worked for it. Like I you worked, said, like an yeah. athlete. Because that's the whole thing, too, is to celebrate the athlete's body and exactly. all the work and yeah. sweat and dedication you put into it. For sure. But it, I do agree with you. The first shot where you're like, all right, I'm going to take this robe off and I'm just letting everybody know I'm naked <laughs> under here. Like, you guys know that, too, right? And it's just such a weird feeling because I know you've been on other shoots where you're like, okay, you get in front of the camera. You're wearing something. This is, and you're like, no. like Yeah. Don't put anything else on. Just put the robe on and walk out, you know? <laughs> well, it was so hard for me not to focus at the make eye con- awkward eye contact <laughs> to the person that's holding the light or the, like, the other stuff to make you look good. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> are you? But they're so professional. Like, yeah. they literally, they don't, they're not, they're just, like, yeah, it was incredible. And now it'd be cool to do it now that I'm fit and actually look like an athlete instead of new, but... Oh, no, that's so cool. Yeah, for I, it, I think it is such a, and I, I told them I was like, I definitely do this again. Like, I think it was such an awesome experience, and they are super yeah. professional, and um, they're looking at it like art, you know, and that's that's yeah. what. Well, it is it, art, exactly. Like, what exactly? Yeah, so it's awesome. All right, taking up a ton of your time. This has been an incredible conversation. I love getting to meet you over the screen, through the screen, <laughs> and hear your story and hear your perspective, and I appreciate you just taking the time to be here but I have one more question for you and that is what's next for Oksana Masters (laughs) um oh my gosh honest well what's besides Netflix binging (laughs) yeah well back to the show that I'm binging um well so my for sports wise I'm focusing on Paris 2024 and um but I honestly most recently, um, I'm things that are happening with Ukraine right yeah. now. It's where I'm from. That I didn't realize. In some ways, I felt like 
even though it being in Beijing, I kind of felt a little bit selfish being on the start line, considering what was going on and stuff and wanted to make it count. And I think it's kind of like how I thought, like how, okay, I thought I was going to be a rower for the rest of my life. And really I was going to be turning into skiing instead and open this opportunity. And I think what I realized was that I want to help more young kids with disabilities kind of have access to sports and use that as their therapy until they discover how powerful and strong they can be and pursue it at a competitive level should they choose to. But um, to kind of just looking into creating an organization where kind of do that more. I love that. It's incredible. Yeah. I hope you do that because I know that you can change a lot of people's lives that way. Um, and I know that even just this episode will will change people's lives. So again, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, working through all our technical <laughs> difficulties. You're a champ. Um, Thank you for, for being so patient. No stress. And I wish you nothing but the best, and I can't wait to see you succeed and shine and continue changing people's lives. So thank you. Aw, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week and hit the subscribe button to be alerted when a new episode drops. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more amazing sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to The Player's Pod. See you next time.